How many of you have your messenger today? It's that little piece of paper that you received when you came in. Years ago, when I was a boy growing up, we just referred to it as the bulletin. We have fancy names for those things now, but basically it's a bulletin. We call it the messenger here. I want you to take out your messenger this morning. I want everybody to hold up their messenger, if they will, for me. Hold it on up there. I see everybody has it. All right, now this is what I need you to do today for me. I need you to find a piece, a pen or a pencil because I have a question and I want you to answer it for me on your messenger. So find a pen or a piece, uh, a pen or pencil. And this is the question I want you to answer this morning for me. What is the single most important word in the Bible? Go. All right, the single most important word in the Bible. What is the single? One word. Men, don't look at your wife's paper. Don't you do it. This is not school anymore where you can cheat off your wife. This is for you. All right? The single most important word in the Bible. All right, you got it? Look back up here at me. All right? How many of you wrote down the word faith? All right, yeah. There, that one over there is a cheater. They were in the first service, so I know. That one's my daughter, and so she knew in advance. Oh, we've got, Evie, were you in the first service? Okay, Evie got it right. We have two or three. So nobody else wrote down that word, right? I'm surprised by that. I'm surprised that only several people wrote down the word faith. But let's be honest, right? It's really hard to narrow our list to one word, isn't it? Think about it. Isn't the Bible full of important words? I mean, we find God and Jesus. We find the Holy Spirit, which is two words, but I would have let you write that if you'd have wanted to. We think about redemption and reconciliation and salvation. To be justified, glorified, to be redeemed, redemption. The Bible is full of important words. But I think you would have to agree with me this morning when I say this. Faith is indeed one of the most important words in the Bible, is it not? Sure it is. I mean, think for with me for a moment. There's a whole book in the Bible that's devoted to faith. The book of James is all about the believer living out their faith in a practical way in a very real world. There's a whole chapter that is devoted, uh, devoted to faith. Hebrews, the 11th chapter, starts with a description of faith, and then from there it goes on and offers us example after example of men and women who walked by faith and not by sight. Consider this verse. It is impossible to please God without faith. So when you consider the evidence, I think that we would all have to agree today the word faith is a very important word. Would you agree with me on that today? Well, I'm glad that you agreed with me on that today because this morning what I want to do is to take the opportunity to introduce you to one of the great 
yet unknown or lesser known men of faith that we find in God's Word. As a matter of fact, his entire story is found in only nine verses in the Bible. And he only speaks about a half a dozen words in that story. When we look at who this man is, we simply know two things about him. First, we know that he was a royal official, most likely of King Herod. And we know that he was from the town of Capernaum, which was north of Canaan, about 20 miles, and it set on the Sea of Galilee. That is what we know. The entirety of this man's story is summarized in nine verses. Oh, and one other thing that we learn in his story. He was desperate. He was frantic. As a matter of fact, his son was at the point of death. He had searched and searched and searched for answers. And there was nowhere else to turn. The last place to turn was to turn to a man named Jesus Christ. He comes to Jesus Christ. He is absolutely frantic. He is desperate. There is no one else that can help him. The indication of the story is this man has searched high and low for answers to his son's situation. And at the end of the day, he is at the end of his rope. There is no hope to be found. So he looks to Jesus Christ for the answer to his situation. And you know what's so unique? Jesus Christ meets this man at the point of his desperation with the hopes of moving him toward genuine saving faith. So if you have your Bibles this morning or your device, I would encourage you to open them to John, the fourth chapter, John, the fourth chapter, we're in the gospel. We've been looking at this series of sermons that we've entitled Getting to Know Jesus, Believe and Live. That was God's, I mean, that was John's desire for his readers. He wanted to introduce them to who Jesus Christ was. And as a result of meeting him, that they would believe on Jesus Christ and that they would experience life to the fullest. That's what Jesus Christ said that he came to do, that he came that we might have life and have life more abundantly, that we would have life to the fullest. That is God's desire for every one of our hearts. And full life, life abundantly is only only found in a relationship with Jesus Christ. There is no story that makes that any clearer than this story right here. This man went to Jesus with one problem, and Jesus Christ is going to reveal a much greater problem in this man's life. And as a result of finding himself in the presence of Jesus Christ, his life is going to be forever changed. His life will be forever changed. So I want you to pick up with me as we begin to read right here. So if you have your Bibles or your device, we're going to start in verse 46. And I want you to listen to what it is that is recorded here in these verses. 
This is what John says. He said, so he came again to Galilee. I'm sorry, he came again to Canaan in Galilee where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. Now, I want us to just stop right there because John opens this passage of Scripture for us by kind of letting us know the setting. This is Jesus Christ's second journey to the town of Canaan. If you remember in the opening chapter, of, on the opening verses of chapter 2, Jesus Christ traveled to Canaan and he blessed a wedding with his presence. And in that story, John records for us, it was the first sign that Jesus Christ, was, that Jesus Christ performed was when he turned the water into wine. Now you remember that word sign, right? We've talked about that word sign. If you remember the word sign means it is something that points to something that is greater than itself. That is what a sign is. Jesus Christ turning the water into wine pointed to something far greater. It pointed to who Jesus Christ was and it also showed that Jesus Christ had power over the natural world. I don't know about you, I cannot turn water into wine and I would think most of you cannot turn water into wine immediately at least, right? I realize there's a process. I had to throw that in. I don't want anybody to go home and try it, all right? You see what I'm saying? But it pointed to who Jesus Christ was and what he would do for mankind. Jesus Christ brought salvation unto the world. Now what's unique is at the end of this story, his second journey to Canaan, John says this is Jesus Christ's second son. Flip over with me and look at the end of this story. Listen to what he says here in verse 54. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. As a matter of fact, there are seven signs that are recorded for us in the Gospel of John. This is the second sign that Jesus Christ would perform. And through this sign, Jesus Christ wanted us to understand something very important about who he was. This is what he wanted us to understand. He has power over sickness. He has power over illness. He has power over disease. That is very clear in this story. I don't know what it is that you're facing in life, but I do know one who holds all healing in his hand. He is a God of miracles, and he's still in the miracle business, and he can heal at, with a spoken word just like Jesus Christ did in this story. Jesus Christ simply speaks, and this man is healed. But it also points to something even more significant in this story. Because in this story, this story is, much, is about much more than just the healing of this man's son. This story is about genuine, saving faith. Perhaps no story in all of God's Word gives us a clearer picture of genuine, saving faith than this man's story right here. 
Let's go back to this text and let's pick up where we left off, all right? Let's begin right there in verse 47. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Do you see that right there? The indication of this story is this man has come to Jesus Christ because there is no other place to turn. He is literally pleading, he is begging Jesus Christ to do something on his behalf. His son is sick to the point of death. Without Jesus Christ, there is no hope. There's no one else that can provide anything for this. This man is desperate. He is frantic in his search for someone to help his son. Have you ever found yourself in that situation before? Where you were just absolutely desperate? You were frantic for the situation that you found yourself in. There seemed to be no help at all. And the only thing you could do was just cry out to Jesus Christ in desperation, praying and asking that God would do something in your heart and in your life in this situation. Have you ever found yourself in that place? Perhaps you've been like this man in this story where you had a child who was very sick. And maybe the doctors have said, we don't know. There's no hope. And the only thing left to do was to really cry out to Jesus Christ in desperation. Can I tell you something this morning? Before we cry out to the doctors, we really ought to cry out to Jesus Christ. He is the one who can fix all of our problems in life. Not the doctors, not modern-day medicine, not anything else. It is Jesus Christ who is the great problem-solver in life. This man went to Jesus Christ with his problem. He cries out to him in desperation. You can hear it in his voice. I understand what this man was going through. I have been where this man is, and many of you have been. You can relate to what's going on in this man's life. I would say for some of us, we could even take this man out of this story and we could insert ourselves into this story. We found ourselves there before. Haven't we? But I cannot tell you this morning that we serve a God who is always faithful. And when we cry out to Him, He will always answer our cry. That does not mean He will always answer in the way that we desire for Him to answer. But God always responds when we cry out. This man cried out to Jesus Christ. Listen to what Jesus Christ says. So Jesus said to him, this is verse 48, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Now the you here in this passage of Scripture is actually the plural in the Greek. He wasn't just looking at this man and saying to this man, what you seek is signs and wonders. That's not what he's saying here. It seems as though there's this big crowd that has gathered around Jesus Christ. And this is kind of the way we would say it. Hey, y'all's problem is y'all are just looking to me to provide the answers to your problem. You're just looking to me for a miracle. 
is what Jesus Christ. There's no doubt people had heard about Jesus Christ. Remember, his first sign was done in Cana. Many people had been there. They had heard about the miracle that Jesus Christ had performed. He had traveled down to Jerusalem. He had cleansed the temple. He had done many signs and wonders there. He has traveled back. He has gone through Samaria. He stopped at Sidkar. Many people came to know Jesus Christ. Just north of there is the town of Canaan. He has arrived in Cana. News has gone before him, and a crowd has come out, and they have come out to see the show. That is what they've come to do. They've come to see the show. They're looking to Jesus. They want to see. They don't want to miss what Jesus Christ is about to do. And so Jesus Christ looks at this group and He says, unless you all see, y'all, see signs and wonders you will not believe, the official said to Him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go, your son will, li- I mean, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus Christ spoke to him and he went on his way. When I read this story, I'm always blown away by the response of the man to Jesus Christ. Did you see what he said there? Jesus Christ said, listen, your son will live. This man looks at Jesus Christ. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him, and he went on his way. He didn't plead with Jesus Christ. He didn't hesitate for a moment. When he heard the word of Jesus Christ, this man went on his way, believing that what Jesus Christ spoke would actually take place in the heart and the life of his son. Do you see that here in this text? Isn't that so amazing to you? We're not sure how this man knew of Jesus Christ, but he had heard about Jesus Christ and he believed in his heart only Jesus Christ was the one who could provide the answer to his problem. What I love about this story is this, Jesus Christ meets this man at his point of desperation. He meets him right there. He meets him right there in order to move this man toward saving genuine Faith is what he does. I believe it is at this point of the story that we learn several important truths concerning genuine saving faith. Number one, if you're writing them down, just write this down. Genuine saving faith comes by hearing the Word of God. Genuine saving faith comes by hearing the Word of God. Did you see that in this story? Did you hear how the man responded to Jesus Christ? Listen to what he says here in this story. He says, the official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke, and he went on his Now, that ought not catch us by surprise as God's people. We see this truth taught over and over again in God's Word. Isn't this exactly what the Apostle Paul said in Romans, the 10th chapter? If you have your Bibles, quickly just flip over to Romans, the 10th chapter. Paul is writing about genuine saving faith. I want you to hear what it is that he says in Romans, the 10th chapter, beginning in verse 14. 
How then will they call on him, that is Jesus Christ, in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in Jesus Christ of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Now don't miss what is said here in verse 17. So faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of God. Can I submit to you this morning, there is no salvation, genuine saving faith apart from God's Word. You see, I think this is a message that we've conveyed to people that is very wrong. What we have told people in America, I hear it on, just simply believe. That's what we've said to people. Do you realize the word believe appears two different times in this story? The first time the man believed in a miracle from Jesus Christ. But simply believing in a miracle from Jesus Christ is not enough to save you. Simply crying out in desperation to Jesus will not ever save one. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. There can be no salvation apart from God's Word. That is the truth of Scripture. That is the truth of Scripture. This man heard the word of Jesus, and he went on his way. Is what it says. Do you see that here in this text? Isn't that crazy? It is to me when I read this. You've heard me say this before, but I'm just going to mention it real quickly. It is the Word of God that the Spirit of God uses to prick a person's heart to bring them unto a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. The Word of God is powerful and living. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. It is through the Word of God that conviction is brought about in our hearts and our lives. And it shows us a need for a Savior. It makes us aware of our sinfulness. It helps us to realize that apart from Christ, we are utterly helpless. It points us to who Jesus Christ is and what Jesus Christ has done in our hearts. and our I mean, what Jesus Christ has done for us at the cross of Calvary. That is the truth of Scripture. But I would tell you simply hearing the Word of God is not enough. It's not enough. People can hear the Word of God and still not be saved. And still not possess genuine saving or genuine saving faith. Look back at this text and listen to what he said in this passage of Scripture, John the fourth chapter. The official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus Christ spoke to him, and he went on his way. It's not simply enough to hear the word of God. We must respond to the word of God. We must believe that what is in the word of God applies to my life. Do you see that in this text? Simply believing is not enough. We must respond in faith. To God's Word is what it says. We must respond to faith. Now I want you to think about this for a moment. We've talked about this word believe a number of different times. It's one of the most important words found in the Gospel of John. It appears 98 times in the Gospel of John. John starts his Gospel in the 12th verse, chapter 1, with these words. Yet to all who received him, that is Jesus Christ, and who believed on his name, that word believe, or have become a part of the family of God. 
in chapter 3 of the Gospel of John. Jesus said to Nicodemus, For God so loved the world that whoever believed, for God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Last week we looked at the story of the Samaritans who came out of the town to Jesus Christ. In verses 41 and 42, two times it says they believed on Jesus Christ. Two times. So the second truth that we see in this scripture about genuine saving faith is this. We must believe on God's word. It's not just simply enough to hear the word of God. We must believe what is written in the word of God. We must believe. We must believe. Listen to me very carefully this morning. If you are here today and you say, Brother Jeff, I am a believer, it is because at some point in time, someone proclaimed the truth of God's word to you about who Jesus Christ is. It is through God's word that we fully understand who Jesus Christ is. We cannot understand who Jesus Christ is apart from the word of God. It is through God's Word that we understand. That brings us to point number three this morning as we finish. Point number three is this. So, truth number one about genuine saving faith is genuine saving faith comes by hearing the Word of God. Genuine saving faith comes by responding to God's Word. Number three, obedience is the true mark of genuine saving faith obedience is the true mark of genuine saving faith now listen to me don't misunderstand me I'm not saying we are saved by obeying but I am saying obedience gives evidence that we have been genuinely saved if your life is not characterized by obedience to God's word and you don't desire to walk in obedience with the Lord you need to ask yourself the question do I or have I truly being genuinely saved. Genuine saving faith and obedience are explicitly, explicitly, I'm sorry, explicitly linked together. You cannot separate the two in God's Word. Now I want you to see this truth in this story. Look at, with me back at this story again and let's read the rest of it. Jesus in verse 50 said to him, Go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus Christ spoke to him and went on his way. As he was going down, his servant met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, Yesterday at the seventh hour, that was at one o'clock in the afternoon, the fever left him. The father knew that the hour that... I knew that that was the hour when Jesus Christ had said to him, Your son will live. And he himself believed in all of his household. This was the second sign that Jesus Christ did when he came to Judea in Galilee. So do you see this truth in this story? It is so very clear here. Did you hear what was said in verse 52? Verse 52 holds the key word for us. It's very subtle, but this is what it says. It is the word yesterday. Yesterday. Do you see that? I want you to get this picture in your mind. Take this man out, insert yourself into this story. I want you to see this, all right? 
You have gone to Jesus Christ. You have pled with him. You have begged with him. You are desperate. You are frantic. You are at the end of your rope for, sal- I mean, for your son to be healed. You look at Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ says, listen, go. Your son will be healed. And this man goes without a hesitation, without pleading, without saying anything to Jesus Christ. And what's most amazing to me in this story, this man chooses to linger for 24 hours rather than to turn home. Put yourself in the story. If Jesus Christ has just announced to you that that your son has been healed, what would you do? I know what I would do. Man, I would hook it up. I would get down the road and I would get to the house to see if my son has been healed. But that's not what this man does. Do you see it? 24 hours. Now, some of you may be saying, well, Brother Jeff, it took him a long time. Most likely not. It's 20 miles to the north. This man being an official, a royal official, most likely had a chariot. That's a two two to three hour drive. At worst, it's a six hour walk. But it's 24 hours later before this man ever shows up at home. This man has just received news from Jesus Christ. Your son is healed. He chooses to stay in Canaan and linger for 24 hours. The first thing I ask when I read this is I'm like, what in the world is wrong with this man? Don't you see that? Why did he linger for 24 hours? Can I suggest to you the reason he lingered? He had so much faith in the words of Jesus Christ that he did not rush home right away. He was resting in the promises of Jesus Christ. And the Bible says when he got home and his servant announced to him that the son was healed. Now don't miss this. It says that he and his household believed. Now, some of you may be saying, well, didn't he believe back there? Yeah, first he believed Jesus Christ for a miracle for his son. But now here, it's a whole different word. And the believe here is now this man has trusted Jesus Christ. He believes that Jesus Christ is the long-awaited Messiah. He has thrown the full weight of himself upon Jesus Christ. He is trusting Jesus Christ as his Savior. Do you see this in this story? How awesome this is. This man lingered for 24 hours. You see, the real question is, are we willing to obey God even when it doesn't make sense? This man did. He had such great faith in Jesus Christ. He lingered for 24 hours. Obedience is the true mark of saving faith. When Jesus Christ said, hey, your son is healed... This man took Jesus Christ's promise. He took it at his word and he said, you know what? I can, send, I, mean, I can go to Canaan. I can spend some time shopping and picking up things. from. I don't need to go back. My son's healed. Do you see that here in this story? 24 hours he lingered without going back. When I look at the great men and women of faith in God's word, they obeyed God in spite of of circumstances and consequences. They gave evidence to their saving faith through their obedience. Think about this radical statement. Abraham, go. Don't worry about where you're going to go. I'll show you when you get there. Think about this. Hey, 
you apostles, don't speak that name any longer in public. What should we do? Should we do what man tells us to or should we do what God tells us to do? That group of men were the same group of men that had Jesus Christ put to death. They gave evidence to saving faith in the same way that this man did. When Jesus said, go, he went without question. The question we must ask ourselves this morning is this. Do we have genuine saving faith? Have you heard God's word? Do you believe God's word? Will you obey God's word? Someone said, you only believe as much of God's word as you obey. Think about it for a moment. You only believe as much of God's word as you obey. Isn't that true? Obedience is seen in the choices and decisions that we make on a daily basis. Our faith is given evidence through our obedience. The question we must ask ourselves this morning is this, do I possess genuine saving faith? Father God, we thank you for your word and the truth of it and the way it speaks into our hearts and our lives. As we come to this time of invitation, I pray that you would work in your perfect way in our lives. Father, that you would continue to work in our hearts, that we would continue to give you the freedom through your Holy Spirit to convict and draw us unto you. Father, you guide us during this time of invitation. We desire for your name to be lifted up. We desire for you to be honored and glorified. We pray this in Christ Jesus' name. Amen.